Welcome to the Everseline podcast, the show that ignites your passion for leadership and empowers you to develop a culture of continuous improvement. I'm your host, Matt Sims, and in each episode, we bring you fascinating insights and invaluable tips from our incredible lineup of guests. What do they all have in common? They share an unwavering dedication to excellence and are the experts in driving engagement, improving metrics, and reducing costs. The Ever So Lean Podcast with Matt Sims. You know it makes sense. This episode is sponsored by Catalyst Consulting Limited. Catalyst Consulting exists to help people and organisations work better today and be ready for tomorrow. They have a rich history of igniting business transformation using business agility, lean, Six Sigma, strategy deployment, agile and change management. They can help you and your organisation to develop the skills necessary to work and manage differently. To find out more, check out catalystconsulting.co.uk. Today, we are going to dive deep to understand what actually is lean. Why are we doing it? And what does it take to sustain a lean or a continuous improvement culture? These are questions that as an organization, we should ask ourselves before we begin our continuous improvement journeys. Before you head true north, you need to understand why you're heading north in the first place. Then once you are heading in that direction, how do you ensure that you stay on course and sustain that path? To help guide us towards the answers to these questions, we are joined by absolute lean royalty, as the wonderful Natalie Sayer will join me here in the studio. Natalie is a huge name in the lean and continuous improvement world. She's the co-author of the renowned Lean for Dummies book, literature that has pride of place in my library of material and something that I refer to frequently to utilise the lean methods that are in there because it makes it really, really simple and understandable, which is really important for me and it also helps to explain it to people that perhaps aren't familiar in this sort of space so it's really really useful piece of literature to have now natalie has numerous qualifications in engineering continuous improvement and in leadership these include a bme in mechanical engineering from the university of dayton and an MS, MSE in Manufacturing Systems Engineering from the University of Michigan and certification in Executive and Personal Coaching. Now, during her career, Natalie has crossed multiple industries and supported to develop strong leaders everywhere that she's been. Now, most recently, Natalie is the principal and founder of the Blair David Company, where she helps leaders navigate through the VUCA world, the volatile, uncertain, chaotic and ambiguous world, whether acting as a thinking partner, executive coach, creating strategies or inspiring teams, both in person or virtually, to help leaders to find a way forward and drive outstanding results. Natalie, welcome to the Everseline podcast. (laughs) Thank you, Matt. I feel like I should have worn my tiara, you know, if I'm winning royalty. (laughs) (laughs) You are royalty. You deserve it. It's great to have you here. I'm super excited to just dive in. There's so many interesting things going on in the world. And while the foundations of lean that we're going to talk about really haven't changed, the context in which we can apply them, the technology that's coming down the line with uh, chat GTP and the different AI things, while lean, you go back to the basics, you can always find a different way to apply the basics. Right. So let's kick off from where it all started then, Natalie. How did you get into this field? You know, it's funny because you never really know where your journey is going to lead you. My first day of work as a 17-year-old newly minted high school graduate was in General Motors. And the first day I was there, I was from a little small country town. So, I mean, I'm in the big bag city in this huge manufacturing facility and I was a bit in awe, but I wanted to set the world on fire. And the supervisor who I was supposed to work with was, he was out of the country. So they put me in this lab with a guy named Mike. And Mike had to get out X number of engineering motor mounts that day. And I was to help Mike. I'd never seen a molding machine like this. I'd never been around it, but I was ready to learn and I was ready to do a good job. So Mike's a crusty. He'd been around there forever. He's like, you know, smoked eight cigarettes, you know, as, as we were talking. And he's like, okay, this is what you do. This, 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 and then hit the buttons and then pull it out and don't screw up. I'm like, can I see you do it one more time? Yeah, this, 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 hit the buttons, pull it out, don't screw up. And so I'm like, okay, I can do this. So he put me on a different machine and I'm like, okay, this, 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 hit the buttons, pull it out, don't screw up. 
bad part. Oh no. So I tried again. I'm like, okay, I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to figure out if I, if I'm doing something wrong. So let me try it again. This, 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 hit the buttons, pull it out. Bad part. I just told you, you screwed up. You're worthless. And so I'm like, I was either going to cry or I was going to yell at him. And so I'm like, okay, fine. You do the process on this machine and you tell me what I'm doing wrong. And because we only had so many inserts, they were engineering test parts. And so you really couldn't afford bad parts. So here he, he did, loaded it, hit this, 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 hit the buttons, pulled it out. Bad part. That first day of work of my professional career, I learned that you don't blame only the people you look for systemic causes. In that case, the platens were out of alignment. So before the rubber hit and filled out, it was curing because there was air getting to the rubber. And so I don't care how many years experience you would have had, you would have made bad parts until that machine was fixed. That's incredible. What did he say? (laughs) (laughs) Thank you very much. I don't actually remember. I don't remember an apology or anything along those lines, but it stuck with me of how you treat people is important. How you teach people is important. How you engage people is important. And so I can actually say my lean journey started before it was ever called lean and on the very first day of work. Then later, about seven years later, my division of General Motors started down the path. This was about the time that GM and Toyota partnered to create a facility called New Me Out in California. And so we called it synchronous manufacturing. If you looked at our roadmap of synchronous manufacturing, it looked like the Toyota production system. And so I was in a group, my very first full-time job after my co-op experience was a group called Synchronous Improvement. And it was synchronous manufacturing, statistical methods. I remember when my cohort, Terry, was like, look at this, Natalie, check this white paper out. It's called Six Sigma. These Motorola people are doing something interesting. It was totally not the consulting stuff that it turned into, but it was a different way of looking at you know, how you use statistics, how you design things so that you never fail. It was based on Bandit Pager, that particular case study. And then synchronous manufacturing. So we had value management, statistical method, synchronous manufacturing together in a group called uh, Synchronous Operations. And then like three or four years after that, I was on GM's early electric vehicle, which, oh, by the way, is in the Smithsonian Institute's Museum of American History. So I don't know if that makes me really old or what. (laughs) It's an artifact. It's an artifact. (laughs) But that was the first time that I actually worked in Obeya. And Obeya is a big room where they co-locate everybody that was contributing or designing or engineering or packaging or purchasing or HR, like the whole, it was like a baby business within the massive business and everybody was co-located. And so the, the, in, the communication increased, the handoffs were much smoother. There was collaboration between fighting over space that normally we wouldn't even had a voice in that kind of packaging. So all of those experiences, then I also started up manufacturing plants where there were greenfield sites. So we actually had the ability in one of them to create the culture all the way from how does the environment reinforce the mindset So we were going from seat trim sewing to airbag sewing. So we wanted people to have some gravitas of what they were doing. Like the product that they were making could save somebody's life 20 years in the future if it was done well. That's incredible. And so then from there, I went and we did a brownfield changeover um, from reaction injection molding to airbag sewing and assembly. That project actually won a president's award for GM. And we had the ability to take a look at dock to dock flows. Like where does everything come in? Where is it stored? What are the supermarkets? What makes sense? How do we get people to work with both hands and not just one because people are, you know, one hand dominant most of the time? Yeah, yeah. So it was really interesting to look at all of that. And then later I went out on my own, my current business, it's always been around people process and culture. And the people culture part has become the forefront in the last probably eight years of, of my business. But along those lines or along the way, I met a guy named Bruce Williams, who was the co-author of Six Sigma for Dummies. <laughs> He's also my co-author because we were talking one day and I was giving him a bunch of about Six Sigma. I, along the way, I did pick up my black belt, but please don't ask me to do a two sample T-test because <laughs> I probably couldn't do it if you um, were threatened. Damn, that was, we were going to do that next. 
Bruce and I formed a friendship and he's like, Hey, I've been in talks with Y leader, right? Lean for dummies. This is before the two were combined into something. And, um, He's like, I didn't realize how much you knew about lean. I'm like, oh yeah, totally get this. And one of the things I've been recognized along the way of is being able to express things in very practical or very sensible examples. So a dummies book is designed so you can dive in anywhere and get what you need fast. And in a way that's written not at a, a super high academic level. It's for the common person to be able to learn. And a dummy is the uninitiated. Dummy isn't a stupid person, right? So if you don't know what you don't know, here's a reference to help you learn something. So that was the whole genesis of the Lean for Dummies. I'm a dummy because the level that it's pitched at is exactly my, I, I get it and I understand it. Yeah. And when you first come into a continuous improvement world, it can be really scary. You get these textbooks that have got all of these yeah. formulas in them and all this really hard stuff. Lean for Dummies isn't like that. It's super clear. And that actually was very intentional. The, you talked about um, before some of the things that you've experienced and like, oh my gosh, how could this be improved? Because you see it everywhere. Um, the publishing industry could actually use our book. <laughs> I think I told you a story before when we were talking about cover art like something as simple as cover art how long do you think cover art should take it's one picture yeah minutes it's yeah minutes two months <laughs> two months <laughs> Tell us the story because this is brilliant. And normally authors don't get involved in cover art. I actually have the Dutch version of my book and the cover art makes no sense for what it what we're doing. But they decided that they wanted to put a compass on the book. And so you have already expressed true north in some of our other conversations. The idea of true north is what is your ultimate direction that guides every move? It's almost like your purpose, your vision. Like back in the day, you know, Toyota, it's purported their true north was beat gm took them a while but they totally have done it right so everything they did was in the direction of their north and you get to define what your north is so they had this compass with the indicator not pointing north it was kind of like northeast and they had so for those of you who are just listening and have never seen the book the book has a compass with the word success a red indicator on true north that's what we ultimately ended up with but it took two months to get there so the first word was profits. And while you can have greater outcomes, impacts, results, a lean project doesn't always directly track right to the bottom line. There are different reasons why you do improvements. It could be safety. It could be people. It could be quality. It could be delivery. It could be cost, right? And those actually build on each other. If you have a safe environment, then you've got people who are healthy who can can work. If you can work on things that reduce turnover and engagement and, and increase engagement. So those are the people type measures. So then you have a workforce that's trained, ready to go and engaged. So they're more likely to produce quality. So if you you go to quality, if you can improve your quality, then you have more good products available to ship out to be able to hit your delivery metrics. If you are delivering on time without premium freight, etc., and satisfying your customer with what you're delivering, then you can look at just what we would think of more cost cutting, cost savings initiatives. But there's a whole lot of money before you get to the traditional cost savings that come through safety, people, quality, delivery before you get to cost. So anyway, it took us two months and about eight iterations to end up with a compass pointing true north with the word success. That was the best thing that we could agree upon of if you implement what's in this book, you will have greater outcomes, results, success. But it was it was like, are you kidding me? You, you, know, you obviously have no idea and, and it's disjointed, right? So the editors are different than the graphics people, which are different than the acquiring editor, which, you know, it's just a completely fragmented system. And I think one of the things that lean when you truly embrace it, you're you're looking at the system. You're not just looking at a segment, an operation, etc. You know, there's layers of improvement. The other thing I think is interesting in business, and one of my team coaching instructors, Colm um, Murphy, gave us this analogy. Like professional athletes, they spend like 95% of their time in practice, in conditioning, in preparation, and 5% performing on the pitch. 
In business, we expect people to perform 95% of the time in the business. And we're lucky if we get that 5% to zoom out to work on the business. And what a lean mindset does is enable you to work on the business on a regular pace. So you're always looking for ways to improve. How are you delivering what you're doing? And, you know, my classic thing is if I'm just looking at one small segment and I'm measuring the number of projects, you're going to move the MUDA just around the system because you're not talking and understanding the impact that the changes you're making in your part of the world, how it affects the rest of the world. So true. You can't work in isolation. I've got a very similar analogy where business leaders will go, right, we're going to implement a continuous improvement culture. We want to save $10 million. Go for it. And then I'm like, well, you know, if, you, if, if the analogy I use then is like, if you go to the gym and you go in the first time you, you learn about the machines, you learn about the weights, you start off with some little weights and then you have a little go and you get learn your technique and you learn your way of doing it. You're not going to look like Arnold Schwarzenegger after three days or after five weeks. You're not? No, I know. I know. I look like Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> But I don't. I do. <laughs> no, yeah. I'm sitting here with no shirt on, Arnie muscles out. <laughs> hey, 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 this is a family yeah, program. Family show. <laughs> but it, it takes ages, months and months and months to get that dream bod that you're going for in the gym. It doesn't come overnight just because you've suddenly said, I'm going to the gym. Well, and I think that's one of the, the big mistakes that people make. I mean, there's tons of mistakes that we could talk about, but one of the mistakes are people are using it in a turnaround situation when there's not enough time. So you might already be in crisis and you're expecting miracles because you said you're going to implement this. And so that's the other thing that, you know, when you look at the leadership and leadership creating a, a lean culture, you can't drive that from your desk. You can't drive it from a boardroom. You know, one of the things, you know, Elon Musk might be very controversial, but one of the things that I appreciate about Elon Musk is he'll dive down in and get dirty when when it's called for, right? You know, there's there's tales of him sleeping under his desk as Tesla was ramping up. You know, if you follow on Twitter, some of the, since his takeover, some of the things, you know, he's running SpaceX Twitter by day and working with engineers coding at night to try to fix things to be able to deliver better value for the customers and the users. At a very interesting true north, to improve humanity. Yeah, the, the ultimate true north, really, isn't it? That's got to be the ultimate one. Yeah. So taking a quick step backwards, then. so for anyone listening now, and this is the first time I've ever heard of the term lean and continuous improvement, if you had to summarize what lean is, what would it be? I was thinking about this because there's a lot of ways to define it. For me, at a nebulous level, it's a mindset. And it's a mindset that you try to improve everything you do every day little incremental improvements every single day. Like that's what lean looks like. If I were to give a more erudite definition, I don't even think that's going to be the case, but you know, lean is about delivering value to the customer more effectively. And in delivering value effectively, that's where you have um, greater impact and results. How do you do that? You do that through continuous improvement and respect for people. And there's behind the continuous improvement, there's a toolkit. You know, there's a lot of different places that you can start on your improvement journey, but it's continuously improving and understanding why you're improving something. One of the other mistakes that I have organizations make is that the measurement system is number of projects we did. What kind of behavior do you think that drives after a while? And it's such a common mistake as well, isn't it? It really is. Yeah. And so, you know, what does it drive? It drives, oh my gosh, I have to have 10 projects. So I'm going to hang a sign and call it an improvement project. And I think that's a really key message for anyone listening now. Don't chase a number of events or a number of improvement opportunities. That's not what it's all about. Well, and I would go back to, if you're looking at the basics or getting started, you know, look for your safety opportunities, look for your people engagement opportunities, um, look for, you know, improving flow, right? Sometimes flow is driven by communication or it's stopped by lack of communication. You know, look at quality, look at delivery, look at cost, look at handoffs between departments and watch assumptions, right? That That's the other thing from a mindset standpoint is that the assumption piece. You know, I have uh, one of the projects that I did several years ago, we were looking at an, it was like a medium size, maybe a hundred million in US in sales. And we were looking at order receipt to collecting money, that whole process. 
And we had all of the different departments there, including IT, who had the influence over their homegrown system. And there was this one person, we can't do that. We can't do this. We can't do that. And it's like, so there's the mindset, right? The mindset is going to drive your behaviors and choices, which then will drive your actions, which then ultimately will drive your results. And so it took a group of people to help refocus this one person. So we said, okay, give us an example of something that really bugs you or slows you down in the process. And the way they did commissions, this was still, you know, in the 2010s, wasn't that long ago. This person was still using paper atlases with zip code maps because the way they did commissions was based on the zip code of the salesperson, not the zip code of where the order came from. So she had to do this manual thing like a hundred times a day to convert. And I'm sitting there going, why can't there just be a table that makes that conversion for her based on the salesperson on the order? Oh, I was told we can't do that. And the IT person's going, who told you that? They told me that. The ubiquitous they. You know, they is the big stopper to progress. (laughs) (laughs) And so overnight, the IT person wrote a conversion table and that saved lots of frustration turned this very negative person into a believer of there are things that we have the ability to change and probably saved two days worth of work that other stuff wasn't getting done because of the laboriousness of this highly manual off-system process that was part of the system. So that engagement piece with people is one of the best parts is my belief anyway. You tell me if I'm wrong. One of the best parts of a continuous improvement culture is that engagement with the people. They're going down, they're doing the Gemba walks, they're having the conversations and letting people be part of finding solutions to everyday problems. Absolutely. You talked about a Gemba walk. For those of you who don't know what a Gemba walk, Gemba is the place where the action happens and it's actually going with a fresh set of eyes to look for opportunities. And, and to also spot anomalies, right? So I have a leader that I worked with and he gets to his location. He runs three facilities. He gets in about a half hour before everybody else. He gets his coffee and he walks around and he looks. He calls it his coffee kata. So it's his routine every morning where he looks. Did the trash get empty? Let's start with the basics. If you can't master the basics, you're never going to create a sustainable culture of lean because to set it up is easy. To sustain it is hard work. It's not difficult work. It's hard work because it co- it requires discipline. And so if something is not being sustained, then that causes you to go back into a PDCA cycle, plan, do, check, act, adjust, to say, what is getting in the way? Are people not trained? Is this not the right solution? Have conditions changed? Is the context changed? But when you go on that Gemba walk and look, you look for anomalies. And then in that, that starts you ask, you having you ask why. There was a thing that uh, Taichi Ono used to do, which was an Ono circle. And he would require you to stand without moving and doing nothing else for X amount of time, like hours, to, to see and to learn to see what you're looking at and to learn to spot waste and nonconformity. I've never heard of that. What's that? An Ono circle? So Taichi Ono is one of the key founders of everything that now became known as Lean. He was instrumental in Toyota's reclamation after World War II. Um, So I converted it to something that in our current culture might be still difficult to do, but I call it a 10 at 10. So you you pick a a spot, 10 minutes standing uh, at 10 o'clock. So you can put a routine to it. You can mix that up if you want. want. But for the the leader I was working with, Friday's 10 at 10 was something that they started with. No phones, put your electronics away. You're there with paper and pencil and you're just looking. You're looking for questions like, why did they take 10 steps? Why is that located here? Why is this person working twice as fast as this person? What is the line balance here? What are we trying to do? Where is quality delivered? And you just sit there and you ask, you come up with all of the questions and those questions then can be taken to the team to say, how can we improve? Here are some things that I noticed. What else can we do differently? 
I was always taught when I first started out, never describe a problem, sketch a problem. Take a pen, take a piece of paper and sketch it out. So, so you, you're really getting down what you can see. And by sketching it, you can do that. There's a, a tool called spaghetti diagrams, which are just that. You know, you might track one if you're, let's say, at a distribution center or a manufacturing facility where people travel. You know, you can just use different color pens to map the travel of each person in a designated area. And then, you know, it looks like a, a plate of spaghetti by the time you're done. Unless it's, you know, unless you have the flow, you know, kind of working towards that triangle flow where it's paced and laid out so that one person can run multiple things with no interference. It just becomes like a triangular walk. I love that tool. That's a, such a good tool to use. Are you ready to elevate your team's ways of working? Are you seeking fresh insights and growth opportunities? Our experts will assess your team's practices, providing valuable insights for improvement and celebration. Reward and recognize your team with this certification tailored specifically for creating an improvement culture. The BQF Academy accreditation acknowledges your journey, outstanding outcomes and future plans. Whether you utilize Lean, Six Sigma, project management or continuous improvement techniques, this certification celebrates your incredible work and positive impact. Propel your team's performance to new heights with the BQF Team Excellence Culture Certification. Visit www.bqf.org.uk today and let's celebrate your success together. 13-time single prize winner, Dr. Jeffrey Liker and Toyota Kata author, Mike Rother have created the Improvement Kata and Coaching Kata online course. This inexpensive compact program is designed to transform your thinking and approach, making you a highly skilled learner and coach. Engage in deliberate practice to turbocharge your progress. You also get lifetime access to the materials, including all of the bonus interviews. Why pay up to 10 times the price elsewhere? Listening to some consultant. When you can gain direct insights from the masters themselves. Skip the rest and go with the best. Join us today and embark on your journey to excellence. Just click on the link below to start your journey. Okay, so we understand what lean is. We know what lean is. We we know what it means for the leaders and we know what it means for the, the associates and the frontline folk. Uh -huh. How do we sustain that lean and continuous improvement culture? How do we know that we're doing it right? So I think, it, you know, some of it is in the solutions, you need to have checks, like how are you measuring your success of whatever you've tried to do, right? So, so there's that success. A culture of curiosity is going to, you know, you've got people looking for, did we win or not? right there, you know, with our, our change, things like coffee katas, gemba walks, ensuring that what you're putting in place is sustaining, but you ultimately have to measure your results. So measurement drives behavior and you can't just apply, you know, I mentioned this earlier in one of our conversations that context matters. So you can't just say, well, it worked here. So it's going to work everywhere is this the right solution for this context is another important thing. But it's that daily follow-up at all levels to make sure things are moving in the direction you haven't slid. There, there's a discipline that comes with a lean culture, not not a, I'm going to go give you 40 wax, you know, because you screwed up. <laughs> not, not that kind of discipline. It's that going to the gym five days a week with a routine and an intention. Are you just improving to improve or it, what's the intention behind why you're studying this part of the process at this time to improve? You know, we used to have what we called murder maps. Um, and it <laughs> sounds great. <laughs> murder, well, it, it came from the New York Times in the 90s used to plot neighborhoods for hot spots of crime so that they knew where to put what kind of policing in certain areas. So we translated that in one of the facilities that I worked for. And the guy who led that facility ultimately went on to work for Toyota, a very high level in Europe, but he brought us murder maps. So we had a layout of our whole facility. 
We had quality complaints, whether they were from the customer, it was one color. If we caught it on a dock audit, it was another color. If we caught it in-house, it was another. But we could go back to the machine to track where are our defects coming from and what do we need to study there? Is there a machine issue? Is there a training issue? Is there a rotation issue? Was there a different supervisor in that area that day? Do we have new people who are learning? Like you can really start studying by locating the hotspots in your facility. And that also gives you a clue of where are we going to start? Again, safety, people, quality, delivery costs. So much of it is about asking questions, isn't it? Just asking why constantly. Totally, totally. And, and it's not always why, how, how are we doing this? When are we doing this? What's the frequency? What's the design here versus what are we trying to do? You know, it, it's not, you know, there is the tool five whys, but sometimes five whys get you to because if you don't use it well. So, you know, I think one of the least developed leadership skills is the use of asking open-ended focused question. I'm actually thinking about writing a book because in a lot of my executive coaching conversations in my work today, in my systemic team coaching and really in customized facilitation, in the services that I focus on today, and I'll talk in a second why I focused there instead of doing Kaizen workshops anymore. It's a repeat theme of people don't know how to ask really good questions for the context that they're operating in. So you and I talked when we first met about what was your evolution in the the lean journey? And I, I kind of talked about the initial part, but I got to a point where I felt like I was wasting people's money as a consultant by doing lean workshops that I knew the leadership wasn't ready. They didn't have the right mindset. They expected it to be somebody else's job. They weren't setting vision. And I'm like, I'm I'm tired of doing work that feels like I'm wasting my time. I had left um, the automotive industry. My intention was to be an executive coach. And it really took me a while uh, to do different things in that people process culture realm to get to the point where the focus I wanted to make, because the impact I wanted to make was positive change to the world through people. And if I can get leaders of people to be more effective, then they'll have greater impact. And if the context is lean, that they wanna create a lean culture, then how do I help them have the right mindset, the right behaviors to emulate, this is important and here's why we're doing it. Like, you know, my leader who does the coffee kata, everybody knows that when he comes in, he's gonna have a list of things. They go on gemba walks two or three times a week as a leadership team. You know, he's training individual people. They started a, a cross-training program so that people could, number one, earn more money by mastering more skills. But then that also increased the flexibility of the organization. You can actually have too many people and it be waste. And that's not saying that people are wasteful, but the design of the system, people get in each other's way. So that's not respecting people of giving them work where they're tripping over each other. So how do you create more capable people in the workforce to be able to have the flexibility and the growth potential? Maybe some of these you know, people who have mastered all of the operations become a lead. And maybe then they become a supervisor and then maybe they become um, a tech, um, you know, a, a maintenance tech or something. You know, I, I tend to use examples that might be a little bit more manufacturing oriented because that's where the manufacturing and construction or built environment where is where a lot of my clients tend to be. But there isn't, you know, go into a hospital, you know, you can see the people who run behind versus the people who are just super efficient in how they use their time. There's also a thing that's a respect for time. And I think sometimes we, we get so used to, you know, the wasting our time with the phones in our pocket that we lose the focus and the respect on time. That's one resource that's fixed. So how do we use our resources effectively, whether they be time, they be people, they'll be money, et cetera. How do you measure that leadership piece? I don't know as though I have an easy answer for that. It usually comes more for me in coaching conversations of anecdotal. You know, maybe you're working on a competency that's results through people. Maybe you're working on a, a competency of customer focus. So if you are a leader are working on that, you're working on it in the context of lean, 
then what are you trying and what are your results? And then a 360 feedback with very specific questions is a way to get some measurement for that. But to say there's some kind of statistical equation that I have found to measure that, I don't have an easy answer for that. Yeah, I guess it could be different everywhere as well. Different companies, it could be different. Absolutely. And there's also kind of an audit piece, right? So if you said that your culture is about this, have somebody go talk to people. If it, that one, the one leader that has the coffee kata, he will have anybody, any visitor come in and say, ask anyone, any question in this. He now has some of his leads teaching lean concepts out of the Lean for Dummies book to the people on the floor so they understand and they're, they're learning, you know, and, and some of the, the feedback is how did you create this? Everybody is singing out of the same hymnal. They have the same focus um, around, around lean and the culture and the environment. You know, obviously there's scale to that, but within every scaled environment are subsets. So how do you build it? There's a there's a, a painting that hangs behind my desk. If we are, we're on video, you can see it. And it's a pointillism painting. And in every single, uh, it's created by dots that have color, nuance, and texture. And every interaction that you have has color, nuance, and texture. And so you don't just say, I'm going to be a wonderful leader, just like you, you, know, you were talking about earlier. I'm going to be Arnold Schwarzenegger. I went to the gym three times. <laughs> It's the color and the nuance and the texture of every interaction that you have with every person that starts building the culture. And so are you building, you know, I've used this analogy before, are you building the art that you want? And if not, then what's missing? Is there a perspective that's missing? Because sometimes you're so blind to your facility, you need outsiders to come in to give you a different look. Is it a, a skill you haven't honed yet? Or are there tools and techniques like you would find in the, the Lean for Dummies book that you haven't um, yet mastered? And if those, if it's not there, then there's a possibility that there's a misalignment between what you value and want to deliver and what the customer expectation or a stakeholder expectation might be. And so therefore, you know, the customer is not getting the value they want. Your leadership art then therefore is probably a, an ink blot Rocher um, artwork. <laughs> <laughs> So Natalie, tell us what drives you then? What gets you up in the morning? I tell a story um, about my very first day at work and, you know, trying to set the world on fire and feeling like an absolute failure because of the situation. And so what drives me, my life's mission, and it actually hangs in front of my computer on a wall. So I stare at it every single day is to, to bring positive change to the world through people and helping people bring all of their logic and rational brain and all of their creativity to develop skills so that they can make an impact and bring positive change to the world through the people that they touch. That's incredible. That's really good. I like that. Yeah, it's kind of my, you know, we have a lean true north as a, a concept of that always aiming there. I'm human. Don't always <laughs> live it. But it sits in front of me as a reminder of why I am on this earth. And it's to, you know, to truly, truly bring all the gifts and talents that I have, all the lessons that I've learned over time to help other people unlock their lessons, their gifts and their story. Do you know what? We mentioned this when we was doing the prep for the show, but if we if we put your career path as like a linear line, so you started off, you know, on day one in, in the manufacturing line, then you've gone all the way through this lean journey and you're now thinking in, in this lean leadership way, in this inspirational way. I feel like I'm following that line right behind you. Yesterday, I was really lucky. I got to be a guest speaker at a lean event. I saw that on LinkedIn. <laughs> it was amazing. It was Full of people that are different stages of the journey of, the, of their continuous improvement. Some of them are trying to engage senior leadership. Some of them were trying to find the best ways to inspire the associates and talking about my journey and inspiring them from my, and like you said just now, from my history and my mistakes and things. I love talking about that with people and watching them learn from it. It's an amazing feeling, isn't it? Yeah. In some ways, people have to make their own mistakes, right? You know, when I went into business for myself way too many years ago, um, <laughs> I, I learned everything. And just because I learned it theoretically, I still made 90% of the mistakes that they said do not make. 
So I think we can be inspiration for people. I think we can be understanding for people. I think we can help people find their own inner motivation. I think one of the, the greatest misnomers is that we can motivate people. If you don't tap into something in their core or find what's important to them or for them to tap into the why they would want to spend their time, their money, their effort, their resources, their knowledge, whatever, to do something, people are going to make their own mistakes. You know, any lean journey, you're going to have the people that are curious enough to just go adopt something and try. You're going to have the middle of the road people that are going to have to, you know, they might, they might tip their toe in the water, but they are not one jumping in the cold pool in the deep end. And then you've got the people who are, are on the side of the pool and there's no how, no way that they're ever going to even <laughs> do that because it's stupid. And why would you do that? And we've been this year. Here's one of the problems of me being in continuous improvement for as long as I have. There's like a jadedness that comes. It's like, okay, what are we going to call it this time? It's the same thing we've been trying to do since Deming was back at Bell Labs and you know, <laughs> through World War II reclamation and nobody here would listen to him. So he found an audience in Japan rebuilding post-World War II and then they they didn't have extra that through, you know, there's the whole necessity as the mother of invention. They didn't have resources. They didn't have, you know, they were rebuilding from war. So it's really interesting on how do you bring people with you when people are in different mindsets, different places and different stages. Yeah. It inspires me listening to you. It really does, Natalie. I just feel like I want to better pick the phone up to you and go, Natalie, what would Natalie do? <laughs> <laughs> Anytime, Matt. So you just, you caused me to think of a, a early in my career, I was on site. And when I went on site, I hated those people from, I'm from corporate. I'm here to help. You're never there to help, you know, and they're the same people that would work short days and then go out on boondoggles and, you know, drink too much, eat too much or whatever. I hated that reputation of person, not somebody I'd ever want to be. And so for me, um, I would make sure if not every day, cause I couldn't, I have worked more than 24 hour shifts before, but I'm not, not super effective after I do that too many days. So <laughs> I would make sure that if I was somewhere for a week that I would speak to people, connect with people, ask them about what they saw that could be improved on. If it was a three shift operation, I hit people on all three shifts because a lot of times the communication between shifts wasn't there. Depending on who had the idea, I could actually be a voice for an idea that if it were to come from the person who said it, there's already a story written in the organization about that person. They're a whiner. They're a this, they're a that. And so when you're trying to shift the culture to a lean culture, you're going to have, you're going to have naysayers and you have to overcome stories that were written before you ever tried to write the chapter of the book that says our lean journey. On that note, yes. should we have some fun? Uh-oh, this is the part of the interview I'd be yeah. scared of, Matt. Yeah, this is the bit I'm most scared of as well. It's very technically challenging. <laughs> <laughs> so we will have 60 seconds. Yes. And I'm going to fire you some really weird and wonderful questions. Okay. And then you need to not answer yes or no. So you cannot say yes or no. What about maybe? Okay. You can say maybe, yeah. You can say maybe. Let's see if you can do it under pressure because this is quite tricky. All right. So let's get 60 seconds on the clock. Right, 60 seconds are on the clock. We are ready to go. Natalie, do not say yes or no. Have you ever told an outrageous lie to a child? No, but I know. <laughs> <laughs> That was oh, brilliant. Why did you even look 60 seconds? Oh, <laughs> it's really hard. Hey, let's do a PDCA. <laughs> yes, let's do that. Let's do a five Y. Honestly, it's so hard. And I find myself, because I'm thinking, don't say yes or don't say no. I'm saying it. Mindset. It's a mindset. Yeah, it is. I was going to say, I did tell a whopper of a lie when I was a kid. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, the answer now. I had some wonderful questions lined up. Incredible. I've got to ask you, have you ever stolen from a kid's Halloween candy stash? My brothers, does that count? Yeah, that counts. That totally counts. <laughs> <laughs> Terrible. Unbelievable. Oh. Uh, so what's happening for Natalie now? What What's going on in your world? What, what What's happening? 
So it's interesting because I'm still doing a lot of executive coaching. I tend to work in medium to large organizations above the director level. So people that are really looking at enterprise, leader of leaders, strategic. That work still continues. Um, strategic planning, customized facilitation, that still continues. And what I've added in, which really is maybe bringing me back more into the lean world, is systemic team coaching, where you actually, with a team, are looking at the system in which you operate to find ways to improve it, improve your mission. Like, did you navel gaze and just come up with a purpose for this team internally? Or did you really look at your customers, internal and external, on what they needed from you today and in the future? And so are you setting yourself up as a team? So this sounds like a really convoluted thing, possibly. We recently worked with a team who had a new leader who came from a different area. It was a team of people who all had the same role in the organization, and they were spread in a region across multiple offices. Some people had never actually met each other, you know, and there was the question, do we even need to be a team? And there were assumptions made by the new leader that, well, they should all know this already, you know? And so it was really interesting unpacking what the organization needed from them. There were internal systems that needed to be improved that couldn't be improved in a vacuum. The leader had to kind of really look at the relationships amongst the team and the assumptions and stories that they were telling about each other. So really um, expanding into systemic team coaching in organizations is the next focus. I work with co-coaches in that context for the most part. And I'm really excited about it because I think we've focused so much on individual and my business is really built around lead self, lead and influence others and lead your business. So it's looking at that trio. We've spent so much time on the, the self and individual that I think we're missing some great opportunities to connect the business and the others and making sure they're aligned and that the teams that we have are healthy. Fascinating space. Absolutely fascinating. Do you have a website? Where can people learn more? I do. It's Blair David, B-A-L-A-I-R-D-A-V-I-D dot com. Interesting little story behind that. They're like, who's Blair David? I'm yeah, like, who is that? Well, um, my very first job was at a small town library. And I actually think my lean journey started there because I hated doing some of the work that was like routine. And I always tried to find ways to improve it. Anyway, head librarian was Mrs. Blair. And she modeled for me what it meant to be an everyday leader who empowered people, who helped people do more than what their job description might be, who taught, who paid attention to their customers, whether they were three, 30 or 83. So that's the Blair. The David was my grandfather, Cleary, who was born in 1900, um, grew up in an orphanage, had, well, maybe not this like Steve Jobs, Elon Musk level leadership in the world. He taught me resiliency. He taught me curiosity. He was a lifelong learner. He, you know, had to get through the depression. He lied to get into the army. They signed the armistice uh, of World War One on his 18th birthday. He was getting ready to ship out to break horses you know, in the war. And there wasn't anything, he might not have been a formally educated man, but he was a very wise man. And he's another one that taught me, you know, the value of an education and lifelong learning. So when it came to rename my company from I Emerge, um, I was advised, don't put your name in it. It's if you build it to something big enough, it's easier to sell. Don't put, you know, NJS Global because, you know, that just, you know, basically screams you're a very small boutique consultancy. Um, and so <laughs> I was inspired by everyday leaders, Mrs. Blair and my grandfather, Cleary. So that's BlairDavid.com. You've absolutely blown me away with that. That's amazing. What a great story. Yeah. Well, you know, you don't know what impact you're going to have on someone years in the future. And so, you know, if you're an everyday leader, you are intentional about how you show up. What a wonderful way to finish the episode. And I've got to say, the impression that you've made on me, Natalie, over the last few weeks when we've been speaking has been amazing. And I've loved every minute of speaking to you. Yeah. And I hope, well, we need to continue the, the conversation and the collaboration. We do. I want to end with a quote. So many times people in a lean journey just focus on the process improvement or the continuous improvement. And I want you and anyone listening to remember that your process is only as good as the people that you have running it. 
And the sustainability of those process improvements are only as good as the culture you've created. Some key takeaways from today's discussion with Natalie. And once again, we've ended up back with the same theme, and that's about positive change through people. It's all about people. Natalie's career has naturally taken her from working on the front line right the way through to learning about lean techniques, running Kaizen events, doing continuous improvement, to now where she's coaching leaders about being leaders in a lean way. It's a fantastic journey and one that I feel, as I said before, that I am taking myself and I, I'm, I just find it amazing to watch people grow and then become lean, confident leaders themselves. It's a fascinating place. Other things I picked up from Natalie, which are really, really interesting, is how many of her lessons about lean and continuous improvement were actually learned before she even knew anything about it. So back when she was using the press and it was going wrong and the, and the boss was telling her that she can't make mistakes, he tried it and it actually turned out that the press was faulty. So it wasn't her. So don't blame the people, blame the process. Because he was telling her she was doing it wrong and she wasn't. Unbelievable. And she was going to get mad or she was going to get even. No, she wasn't. Don't worry. Ignore that. That's a different movie. <laughs> Another thing that Natalie spoke about, which I think is really important, is look for something in the operation to focus on. Don't try and go after everything. So look for safety improvements. Look to improve flow. Check the handoffs. Look how uh, different shifts are talking to each other. All of these spaces are common in, in most operations, whether it be between departments, whether it be between buildings, whether it be between process paths. There's these handovers. Are they communicating with each other? Is there that link there? These are really good places to start. Ask lots of open-ended questions. Talk to me about, tell me why, what's the purpose of this? What do you think about that? Really focus and study what's going on. Because sometimes our eyes don't tell us the full story. Our brain is very clever at filling in the gaps for us. And sometimes those gaps aren't actually what we're seeing. So as I referenced before, when I first started out on my continuous improvement journey, I was always encouraged to sketch the problem. Because by sketching the problem, you could really see what it was. You really understood what the problem was. And also there's no language barriers in a sketch. There's no words to translate. A sketch crosses every single language in the world. It even works for Martians, so I'm told. Thank you so much to Natalie for joining us here today and sharing her career path with us, inspiring us with her great words, and also for writing an excellent book, Lean for Dummies, that I definitely encourage you to go out and buy. And you won't regret it, trust me, I promise you. I'm not getting any royalties, I just think it's a really good book and I want to share that with you. Natalie's mind really is a treasure trove of gifts that I think I could pick for ages. And I'm definitely going to be taking her up on that offer of keeping the communication lines open in the future. If you like the sound of today's show and would like to hear more, please subscribe and follow the Everseline podcast at everseline.com, where you will also find episodes that you may have missed. Also, if you're on the socials, search for the Everseline podcast. Give us a follow and let me know of your lean efforts because I would really love to hear them. Thanks so much and I'll see you on the next episode. And don't forget, Ever Celine, you know it makes sense. The Ever Celine podcast is researched, produced and recorded by Matt Sims. Visit everceline.com to find out more. Hold up. 